0: Thank you, Pastor Silver. Good morning, everyone. Boy, this is a good-looking chapel. Amen. This is our first one, too. And we've got some uh, new things happening this year. Ivan is a teacher. Imagine that. Can you ever imagine that, eh? Touchon, when you were sitting in class, could you ever imagine this guy's going to be a teacher? Nope. Hard to imagine. Well, I'll tell you something. There was a time that no one could ever imagine me being a pastor. What? Him? What? Are you crazy? And the truth is, God hath chosen what? The what? The foolish things. Right? In the eyes of the world, we're fools. We're fools to waste our lives going to Bible college, going to church, having anything to do with God. The world calls that foolish. God calls it wise. I want to encourage you to open your Bible, please, to Second Corinthians. Today, I want to talk about an important subject right off the bat consecration in second Corinthians chapter eight. And let's see, verse five, keep your seats, but please read this verse out loud with me. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse five, read it now. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You know, more and more, you'll see it. And Brother Len, I'm sure you've seen this so many times that uh, people waste their lives. They just go through life wasting, wasting the precious life, the uh, days, weeks, months, and years that God so graciously, lovingly gives to most of us. Now, some people are, their lives are cut short, rather young. Others, we wonder when are they ever going to die? You know, they're around forever doing maybe some rotten things, but God is still on the throne. He is still God. He knows what he's doing. He makes no mistakes, but to us have been given a wonderful gift called life, and uh, there are so many people that just waste their lives, and then they come to the end of their life, and then they look back, and they regret all of those wasted lives. I read a humorous story about an Englishman, a businessman named John Redhead, and Mr. Redhead was a a property developer and he worked very hard in his work and he made a lot of money. But as he came right up to the end of his life and he knew he was dying and he made up his will, in his will, he specified that he wanted to be cremated and he wanted his ashes to be formed into two egg timers and one given to his banker and the other given to the taxman. And they looked at him and they said, why do you want that? He said that he'd been reflecting on his life and he'd been thinking a lot about what he had given the best years of his life over to. And he realized that over all those years, he had really given most of his money to the banker and to the taxman. So he said... Um, when I die, I may as well keep on working for them. And it's a, it's a funny story. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure if it's a true story. I think it is, <laughs> but it's a very interesting story, and it does illustrate the point that so many people end up wasting their lives, and not just unsaved people, but Christian people as well. Now, Second Corinthians eight five, it says. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. And here we can see that the will of God is involved with consecration. That's, that's what we call giving our lives to God, putting him first and foremost. That's important. You will find, and I hope you find this many times, that as you're undertaking a project, be it in the kitchen or the workshop or uh, working on a project or doing some research or something. And it's just not happening. It's not coming together. And then you realize, hey, I haven't prayed yet. And the Bible tells us to pray in all things, to pray. And so you stop and you bow your head and you pray. And then you find the power of God. I have seen that in my own life so many times. And it's just one of those things. Turn to the Old Testament, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Now, every Bible college student knows where Ecclesiastes is, right? And there was silence in the college for the space of half an hour. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. This is a fantastic verse and I suggest that you try to learn it. It's, it's very, very good. Ecclesiastes 2, and read with me, please, verse 26. 2 and 26. Here we go. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail, to gather and to heap up, that he may give it to him that is good before God this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. So you have essentially the one living for the Lord and the one living for the world, the flesh and the devil and everything the world can give him. And that guy, he thinks he's going to just, you know, do so well. And he puts his nose to the grindstone and he makes all this money and works all these many, many years. And you know what? It's just travail. It's just all kinds of trouble. When a woman comes to give birth they call that travail you know and all of the oh, groaning and sometimes screaming and pulling of hair that's her husband's hair and sometimes she'll pull her own hair having uh, giving bringing the baby in, into the world just a oh experience by the way keep praying for uh, mrs lydia uh, things were going great right up to the uh, actual birth and then it kind of turned there and it was quite a bit of stress That's why she's going to be a month at least getting back on her feet. So she had a rough time of it. Um, I read somewhere um, that the medical people claim that when a woman gives birth, she actually comes close to death. Interesting. Scary. But this idea of travail here, the sinner, you know, that's what God gives the sinner, the one who won't live his or her life for him and for his glory. God will give him the money, but boy, do they ever have to go through the meat grinder. And like John Redhead, get to the end of life and regret it and realize, boy, oh boy, what a mistake that was. But look, at the beginning of the verse, God giveth to a man that is good in his sight. That would be someone who's saved, someone who's living their life for the Lord, putting the Lord first. That's as good as we can get, folks. I mean, we all want to be better, But if we can do that much, we're going to do all right. And the three things mentioned here, number one is wisdom. Wisdom is that ability that you just kind of know where things go. You ever known anyone like that? They can come into a situation. They say, well, this goes here and this goes over there and we need two or three of these. And oh, we're missing one. Run to the store and get one. They just seem to know and they can bring a project together. They can gather resources and boom. You see, that's wisdom. Uh, they say that uh, wisdom is like, um, uh, let me put it this way. The difference between wisdom and knowledge, because we have knowledge here. Knowledge is, is like a bunch of raw material. Wisdom is a finished product. Knowledge would be like a bunch of cloth. Wisdom would be a finished suit of clothes. Uh, knowledge is like a whole bunch of lumber. But wisdom hath builded her house. You see the difference? And God will give wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. You need to pray that prayer in Bible college. Make use of it. Always call upon the Lord for wisdom. God will give you wisdom to find out the knowledge of his will. And then the third thing here is the joy. You will have the joy of doing his will. I delight to do thy will, O God. Very important. Now, in order to obtain the blessings and grace and divine influence of God upon our lives and upon our resources, to really make our lives worthwhile, the first step is to give ourselves to him. That's always proper. We're acknowledging his lordship. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart. Now, a true heart, of course, would be a loving heart, an obedient heart a heart that wants to live for the Lord. I hope that describes your heart today. God only dwells in the clean hearts, right? That's what he wants is he wants the clean hearts. And there's other verses that tell us to draw nigh. There's a difference between near and nigh. Nigh is so much closer than near. In Hebrews 7:19, it says, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And of course, the famous one in James 4, 8, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. That's His promise. His promise is good for today. If you and I will draw nigh to God, He promises He'll draw nigh to us. Will that work even in Bible college? It sure will. Well, today I want to encourage you to consecrate your heart to God, and I'm going to take the next few minutes to try and do that. Here we are at the beginning of the semester of Bible college, and it is the right and proper thing to do. So let us begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, now we ask that your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our understanding and help us to see this matter of consecration, how important it is and how blessed it is. Help us to be able to do it. The devil doesn't want us to consecrate our hearts before you. Please, we pray you would bind Satan in any thought or influence that he might possibly have. Lord, cut him off, cast him out. We ask you, please, Lord, to grant us the freedom, the ability, the will, the desire, the joy to consecrate our hearts before you. Father God, if there be any frivolous thought, any worldly thought, any thought outside of what we're talking about now, Lord God, I pray that those thoughts would just dry up and blow away, that we might concentrate and consecrate ourselves before you today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if you're taking notes, but if you are, I want to give you a couple of notes, a couple things you can write down. Number one is there is joy, there's actual joy in being able to give ourselves to God. This is not some painful thing, you know, oh, it's like having a baby, lots of pain, lots of screaming and tears and clawing and scratching, no, not at all. Now you're in Ecclesiastes, I believe. So turn back to Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5. I believe that in uh, chapel, you'll be encouraged to be taking notes. That's a good habit to get into. Um, Not that you're to write down every single word that the chapel speaker says, but take down some notes because these are are important things that will be shared with you. Chapel is a very important piece of Bible college. The Bible college experience. Uh, Very important is chapel. Now, chapter five of Psalm and verse number 11. All right. Would you, once again, help me out here? Would you read that out loud with me, please? Verse 11, let's go. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. This verse definitely teaches a lot of joy and rejoicing and happiness. And that comes with giving ourselves to God. There is a certain aspect of the human life that is void and empty and can only be filled with the Lord Jesus in his fullness. Uh, Many Christians have tried to fill that emptiness with other things. Some things we won't even talk about in chapel, but they've tried to fill it with things of the world and it always ends up empty. They just cannot satisfy. Uh, There was a famous actor. He died just a couple years ago. Uh, His name was uh, um, Dean Jones. Dean Jones, famous with the Walt Disney movies. And he got saved. But his testimony was that at one point he had it all. He had all of the money and all of the fame and a fancy sports car and a beautiful apartment. He had it all, but he was so empty inside. And that is so true. Um, Here's someone who's been there, done that, and they're telling us it's empty. Solomon went down that same road, empty, empty. But the real satisfaction of life, you know why people kill themselves, commit suicide, they're not satisfied with life anymore. There's no more joy. For some, the thrill is gone. There's no satisfaction. And so they contemplate suicide. Do even Christian people contemplate suicide? Of course. Tons of them do. It's just we don't admit it. (laughs) But lots of Christian people think, oh, maybe I'm better off dead. I'll go to heaven, let someone else. Lots of Christian people think that. Why do we think those thoughts? Well, One main reason, not the only reason, but one main reason is we become dissatisfied with our lives. And so here, the way we become satisfied is to draw an eye to the Lord. We consecrate, we give ourselves. Now look at Psalm 16. Let's go to Psalm 16 now. And also verse 11, another famous verse 11. 1611, let's read that, okay? Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. Now there's a famous 1611. Can anyone else think of another 1611? Yeah. Yeah. Our King James 1611. Well, that's just a, that's not part of the message. That's not written down here not in the notes so I shouldn't have told you that but listen can you imagine if you went to your window uh, and there was like a peck 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 noise at the window and you went to the window and there was this little bird and it was shivering cold and so you immediately knew that it was looking for help and so you carefully opened the window and reached out your hand it hopped in your hand and then you cradled it carefully and you took it into the kitchen and you started feeding it bread crumbs, and you started warming it up, and you were comforting that little creature. That would be quite an experience. But what would you do then? Would you take it and crush it in your fist? Well, of course not. You would joy and rejoice over being able to, to comfort and bring nourishment and safety to this poor little thing. Our Heavenly Father, when we climb into His hands, we consecrate ourselves. He feels that and so much more. He is so overwhelmed with joy that we would come to him and trust our lives and our hearts to him, that he'll take care of us like how we try to take care of that little bird, you know, in his hand. You see, we're, we're covered with his hand, with his love. Hey, with the blood of Jesus, even he loved us that much. And so the first thing is that there is joy in giving our lives to the Lord. When was the last time you consecrated yourself? You got down on your knees and you said, Lord, all there is of me. My time, my talents, my treasures, my past, my present, my future. Lord, my earthly comforts, my physical well-being, my thoughts, my emotions all there is of me lord my reputation what people think about me your will for my life when was the last time that you did that that's something that needs to be a regular occurrence in our lives consecration and reconsecration that's a secret that's the key point number 2 god is faithful and can be trusted now if you're taking notes you can jot down 1 Peter chapter 4:19 it says wherefore let him that let them that suffer according to the will of god commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing as unto a faithful creator It's very true that sometimes bad things happen to good people that's very true Your your life all the rest of your life till Jesus calls you home is not going to be one great big party. It's not going to be one joy after blessing after three scoops of ice cream. It's not going to be that way. You're going to have the blessings, but you're going to have the trials and the testings and the temptations. And sometimes the trials will feel like they are more than you can bear. And yet God is faithful who will not, Suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now, during these times of testing, the devil gets in there and tells you, oh, it's because God doesn't care. It's because God, you know, he's too busy with someone else and he's forgotten about you. And the devil uses these same tricks on all of us. And if God really loved us, we wouldn't be experiencing this or going through whatever. Now, these are just tricks of the devil. That's all they are. The truth is, the very opposite is what is true. In Hebrews 11, we read that Moses chose affliction and service to God rather than all the treasures of Egypt. Moses, at that point, wasn't ready to lead the children of Israel but he was certainly ready enough to make a decision in his heart. And in his heart, he chose to serve God, meaning it's going to be tough times and affliction, rather than all of the riches and the pleasures that Egypt had to offer. And it had it to the nines. Wow, Egypt had it. And Pharaoh and all of the political people and the wealthy people, they enjoyed all of the benefits that Egypt could possibly give. Truth is God becomes our hiding place. Now with that in mind, turn to Psalm 32. Let's just take a look here. Psalm number 32 and verse number seven. I often think of a hiding place as like a prayer closet, a daily prayer closet. And I tried to encourage you last week with a few thoughts about prayer and a prayer closet. And I hope that you are, uh, if you haven't already, that you are in the process of trying to build yourself some kind of little hideaway at home where you can daily get alone with God. You'll find that that is a real lifeline. It's your hotline to heaven. Now, verse seven, I want you to read, uh, chapter 32, verse seven out loud. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. You know, probably the very best way to get yourself into trouble. Here is a secret, a a quick way, if you like, for those here who are interested in trouble. If you're wanting to get yourself into as much trouble as possible, here's one suggestion. Live completely for money. If you want to get yourself into a real problem in life, just start today and go hog snort. Just live completely for money. That's what you want. You want to make money your goal. Strive with all of your might to be wealthy, to make as much money as you possibly can. Go and buy those lotto tickets, hoping against hope that you'll win the multiple millions. Do everything you possibly can to invest in get-rich-quick schemes. You will invite a world of trouble. The love of money is the root of all what? Evil. The word evil literally means a tearing down. That's what evil means. The word good means a building up. Tearing down, building up. There are so many people in this world that have ruined their lives with money. Incredibly so. You know, this is one problem I think that the world does with the sports heroes, the soccer players, the hockey players, uh, football players, basketball players, these young men and women, and they're 18, 19, 20 years of age, 21 years of age, and they're just the best. They're at the top of their game. So what do we do? We throw tens of millions of dollars at them. They take that money, and right away, they get involved with some real nasty stuff, and so many You don't hear about all of the horror stories, but they're out there. It's like the beer commercials, you know, and the whiskey and vodka commercials. They show you these young and happy and successful people, but what they don't show you are all of the broken lives, the the damaged forever health, the sclerosis of the liver, the red bloodshot eyes, the red bulbous nose, the overweight The broken families and broken relationships, the lost jobs, the skid row. They don't show you that side of it. They just show you what they want you to see. But there is a darker side of life, to be sure. Well, the best way to get yourself into trouble, I think, is probably just to live for money. Now, the second best way to get yourself into trouble is to live just a little bit for money. So the first best way is to live all you you possibly can with all your heart, mind, and soul for money. But the second best way to get yourself into trouble is to live just a little bit for money. So now you become the double-minded man. You have a mind on God. You got a mind on money, a mind on heaven, and a mind on things of the world. You see, that little bit is enough. A little leaven leaveneth, the whole lump, that's what the Bible says. It just takes a little bit of sin to get in. You know, we live in modern age with cars that almost, well, drive themselves now, don't they? And engines have sure changed and everything's computer controlled and they've got fuel injection systems and stuff that, boy, it leaves me in the dust. I'm still from the older um, age of carburetors. Now they still put carburetors on small engines. We've got a generator sitting in the back there. The generator comes in handy when the power goes out around here. We park it out there and plug it in. It has a carburetor. The carburetor is what mixes the liquid fuel with the air and gives the right combination and shoots that down into the cylinders where it's compressed and boom it's ignited. The old carburetor. Well the carburetor depends on a tiny little orifice called a jet. And here, the fuel goes through this jet and it's just like a tiny, tiny little stream. And it's kind of atomized with the air and that's what makes that gas-air mixture that goes into the carburetor. Well, that tiny, tiny little orifice, how much dirt does it take to plug that orifice? A handful? Is that what it takes to plug the, the orifice? What you, what's your guess? You're pretty quiet here today. You must be tired. How many know something about engines? Anyone? All right, a couple of guys. Okay, guys, how much dirt? Do you know what a carburetor is? Okay, just checking. Just checking. If, if you want to plug the carburetor, how much dirt do you think it would take, Theo? A grain, a grain. When people have a stroke, you know what that is, right? That's where they're talking to you one minute, and next minute they go, plop. <laughs> They've had a stroke. Junk, some kind of bit of junk has gotten out and worked its way through the blood vessels and then to the tiny capillary tubes somewhere in the brain. And it's about the size of a grain of sand or less. Some of those tubes through the brain are pretty small and it just takes one tiny bit of blob. That's it. You want to get yourself into trouble. The best way is to live completely for money, hog snort. But if you want a second best way, to get yourself into trouble, just live a little bit for the world, the flesh and the devil, a little bit for money. Give your interests over to worldly ways. Be more concerned about salaries and making time and a half than going to church or reading your Bible. Be more concerned about wages and inheritances than you are about laying up treasures in heaven. This is living just a little bit for money. And that's the second best way to ruin your life and get you into trouble. Now you're in Psalm 32. Turn back a page to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 Verse 4. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Did I say Psalms? I am sorry. My mistake. Proverbs. That makes sense. Let me shake the grains of sand out of my capillaries here. All right. Proverbs 23. There we go. Proverbs 23. Everyone there? Okay, everyone, now give me a little bit louder voice because I'm going deaf and I'm having trouble hearing you. Okay, so verse number four, I want you to read out loud with me. Proverbs 23, 4, read it out. Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Turn to Proverbs 28. 28 and verse 20. Proverbs 28, 20, read that out loud too. A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. And also chapter 28 and verse 22, verse 22. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Point here is don't live for money and don't let anyone pressure you to live for money. Why are you wasting your life there in Bible college? What good is that going to do you? What you want is to get out and to get into your career and learn to make the bucks. Don't listen to that. Don't be pressured by that. You have one life. It's not someone else who's going to stand before God because of your life. You will stand before God because of your life. They may put a gun to your head. Well, we got no control over that, but we do have control whether we will bow down to the world or bow down to Jesus Christ that we have control over how we will live our lives. So don't let anyone fool you or pressure you keep your life modest. Keep your needs simple. Use your money to serve God. Don't live for this world now. God always amply rewards and blesses his children who consecrate themselves to him quickly. Number three, point number three. And that is this, the door of opportunity is open. The door of opportunity is open today. Now turn to the book of Micah. That's going to give someone here a stroke. Micah. Is there a book of Micah in the Bible? Is it old or new Testament? All right. Where's my index Micah and chapter four Micah chapter four and verse number two. Now you just read along. I'll, I'll read this. Okay. But you follow it along and many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. Now, there's an opportunity right there. You see, the truth is, the door of opportunity is still open. It's still open for us to consecrate ourselves. Now, I want you to think about something uh, that I think is very interesting. We know that the door of salvation is still open, don't we? We know that. Sure. People can still get saved in second Corinthians six, two, it says, I have heard thee in a time accepted in the day of salvation. Have I succoured thee? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And sometimes we share that verse with an unsaved person encouraging them to get saved today. Revelation 22, 17, one of the last verses in the whole Bible says the spirit and bride say come and let him that heareth say come and let him that is athirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. The door of salvation is still open and we encourage unsaved people walk through that door. The opportunity is now it's for you to be saved. But here's what I want you to think about. If the door of salvation is open, doesn't it make sense that the door of consecration for God's people is also open. Doesn't that make sense? You see, the truth is when Jesus comes and takes us home, that door is closed for many people. When Jesus comes in the clouds and the rapture happens for many people of this world, the door of salvation for them will be closed because they rejected it, rejected it, rejected it. And now we're taken home to heaven. They're left to go through the tribulation. Salvation for them will be closed for some of them. There will be many who will be saved in the tribulation, but for some they will choose to believe a lie. God will send them strong delusion. The new Testament says, but this matter of consecration is a very precious opportunity. Let's not take it for granted. It's an opportunity that God extends to us to consecrate ourselves to him. Not everyone has this opportunity, but we do. Now, Ecclesiastes says, For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. Do you have a desire to be a blessing to God and let God use you to be a blessing to others? Because that's how we ought to be thinking. Maybe you've heard the name J. Wilbur Chapman. Maybe you haven't. He was a great old man of God, great preacher, a Bible teacher, an author, greatly used of God. He uh, was influential in the life of uh, Billy Sunday, the evangelist. Who's Billy Sunday? Well, you'll learn about him in Bible college. Wilbur Chapman died in 1918 on Christmas Day. Now there's a day to go home to heaven. 1918 you know he once preached in Vancouver BC in 8 uh, sorry in 1909 he died in 1918 9 years previous he actually preached in Vancouver BC now chapman once told a meeting that he ha- a me- that he had a meeting with general william booth he's the guy that started the salvation army general william booth and uh he said chapman said when i looked into his face I saw him brush back his hair from his brow. And I heard him speak of the trials and conflicts and victories. And I asked him, General Booth, tell me what has been the secret of your success. He hesitated a second. And I saw the tears come into his eyes and run down his cheeks. And then he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me to have. That was his secret. He said, there have been men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do for them. I made up my mind that God would have all there was of William Booth. And if there's anything of power in the salvation army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart and the power of my will and the influence of my life. And so Chapman said, I learned that day from William Booth that the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. Well, my question remains, do you desire your life to really count for something? It's important that we take this first step. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and use the altar. We'll all use the altar. Spread yourself out. We've even got some altar down there, come to think of it. I think that's supposed to be over here. Pastor Silver, that platform, maybe God didn't want it here. He wanted it there so someone could kneel at it. But I want to encourage you to come and space yourself out, but get on your knees before God today and pray, all there is of me, Lord, all there is of me. And here is my heart, my life, my soul. I give it to you. Help me to do my best in Bible college. Help me to do my best for you as a Christian. Use me, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. Now, with that in mind, would you stand? And we'll have a word of prayer together. And this is your opportunity. You will not have another golden opportunity like you have today, right now, right this moment. After you've heard the preaching in this very first chapel service, the best and proper thing to do would be to consecrate. Yourself to the Lord, Heavenly Father. I do thank you for everyone here today. And Lord, I thank you that the door of consecration is still open. And I do know that for some that door has closed. But for us, it's still open. Help us to take advantage of this golden opportunity and at this very first chapel service to set things right and then use us all the rest of this semester. Lord, bless, I pray, as we come now and consecrate ourselves the best we know how on our knees here at an old makeshift altar before thy sight. In Jesus' name, we pray. Now, would you.